as we dig into this series on spiritual leadership, last week we looked at the oversight of the church and God has designed overseers called elders to lead the church. Last week we looked at those, uh, who those kinds of people need to be, the characteristics, the character traits that God wants in individuals who lead the church. We also learned that in, in Jesus' economy of leadership, uh, it's a, it's, he revolutionized the leadership world and the structure that the world would, or would be set up in, in the church. And that is, it's an upside down leadership model in that those that are at the top are really at the bottom and they're serving. Jesus said, whoever wants to be great in my kingdom needs to learn to be the servant of all. And so serving is the, uh, the model through which leadership happens in the church. And so today we're continuing on the book of Titus and we're going to look at the next uh, arena of leadership, and that is among the church people or people that make up the church. There's actually leadership that God has designed and intentions to show up in that arena. And so this year, our theme for the year is called Be the Church. We, uh, last fall, we had a fall campaign called Be the Church, and we had this kind of vision statement for our church. So we want to be healthy, we want to be unified, we want to be firing on all cylinders. And so we, of course, through our series, looked at the six cylinders that make the engine that powers the church. And, uh, and so the church needs to be doing all those things. But we want to be healthy. And we want to be unified. And health means we're paying attention to our spiritual life. We're investing in our spiritual life. And today we're going to discover that the leadership that happens in the church, again, fits the definition that I've been uh, uh, using. And I think... Um, Hopefully I can get you to agree with me. It's a good definition of leadership and what leadership is. And that is simply that leadership is influence. It's influence. And so you, each one of you, influences somebody. There's someone who's watching you, that is watching the decisions you make, how you handle yourself, and they are making decisions about their own life based on what you do. And so we all have influence the Apostle Paul, again, who wrote this book, Titus, to a young leader named Titus. Paul was under uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit breathed through him as he wrote. And so he gives uh, uh, Titus instructions of how to set up and establish these churches on the island of Crete. You know, Paul and Titus had gone there after Paul got out of his uh, release from house imprisonment in Rome. And they went through the island of Crete and they led people to Jesus preaching the gospel. And churches got established, and Paul continued on and left Titus, a young leader, to establish and to bring order to the churches by establishing leadership. But he gives him instructions and directions in this book that really are for us today, and we need to dig into them, and that's what we're doing. Leadership, again, is influence, and, influence. and Paul says to Titus, make sure that the church is using this influence to make things better. And better means to more reflect who God is and how God wants us to live. Paul tells Titus in the very beginning of this second chapter to make sure the church is using its influence in the right way. Healthy churches influence people towards wholesome living. Titus 2 verse 1, if you want to follow along, as I read it, verse 1 says this, Again, the Apostle Paul writing, he says, As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Reflect the kind of living, Titus, in your life that reflects wholesome teaching. What are some things that wholesome teaching looks like? Well, one of the things 
Um, I try to be transparent with you guys and share different stories from my life on occasion when it fits. And I don't, I try to make sure they're not all just where I look great, right? Because I make mistakes too, not perfect. I don't, no no, uh, delusion on that. But but I want to share something with you today. I think I kind of got it right. Um, uh, when I was in college um, uh, and married, I got married pretty young. I was 20 years old. And uh, Mary and I were expecting our first child. And I felt like God was telling me to move to uh, the, her family farm and work there. And so uh, in line with that, I thought, well, I didn't grow up on a farm. I know a lot about farming. So maybe I should go to school or something. And I kind of thought that made sense. I'm uh, not sure if it really did, but anyway, I found this school uh, in Curtis, Nebraska and uh, applied there and they accepted me. And so uh, Mary and I moved there um, and uh, enrolled in school. Well, one of the things I got to do while I was there was they had a walk-on basketball team, um, a lot of farm kids, kids from all, there was a kid from Colorado. So anyway, I walked on, I made the team. I was kind of the old guy. It took me longer to get in shape. I know that for sure. But um, but somehow I kind of did, and I was able to keep up with them, and it was a lot of fun. We had a great team. We had a lot of fun. One of the things we got to do was travel, and I remember we took a trip to Colorado, and we played some teams there, or a team there. I really can't remember uh, uh, the schools we played, but it required an overnight, and so the coach got some rooms in a, in a little hotel uh, that the school could afford, and so um, he had his own room, obviously, and so here we were, a bunch of guys um, just in a couple of rooms. And so uh, we were hanging out after dinner on that night and, and we were sitting around and I remember going in one of the rooms and sitting down and the TV was on and there was a bunch of guys in there and all of a sudden somebody flipped the channel to, I think it was the Playboy channel or something, right? All of a sudden flashed on the screen things I did not want to see. And so I just got up. I didn't make a big deal about it. I just got up and left the room, went in the other room. And uh, uh, the next day, one of the young men on the team said, hey, uh, I saw what you did. And uh, it was the right thing. I probably should have done that too. And I thought to myself um, that influence is how the world works. And I wonder, as you and I are living our lives, again, we don't always get it right, neither have I, but people are watching what you do even when you don't think they are. We need to live a life that reflects wholesome teaching that we're learning to follow God and we're, we really are following him in all the areas of our life. What are some things that wholesome living would look like? Well, I th- I, there's some things out of scripture that I thought, just a short list. I don't want to dig into these very deep. We've got a lot to cover today, but a couple things for you to think about. How about how you speak to others and about others? The Bible indicates that harsh uh, speaking harshly to people and about people is not something that a follower of Jesus should be doing. And our lives really should be marked by a characteristic of love as we interact with people, not harshness. And so it's one of the things that should, we should be moving in the direction of being less harsh. Now, we can be intense. Some of us are intense at times, okay? But how do we handle that? What tone are we uh, coming with? What's the attitude with which we're dealing with other people? And there's a quality and a characteristic that Jesus really reflected. We talk about it a lot on our elder board, and that is he always spoke the truth, which can be harsh at times. It can be tough. He spoke the truth, but he always did it in love. And so there was that quality and characteristic that he embodied. We want to begin to grow in that direction. How about gossip? We know the Bible speaks to gossip and that we as followers of Jesus should not be involved in gossip. 
We wouldn't be involved in that. As we talk to other people, we're not going to gossip. Well, what is it? Well, you know, one of the ways that gossip starts, and as I get older, I realize that I can be guilty of this at times. We see something. We see an interaction between people. We have a conversation with somebody, and we, we see a look in their eye. Or we, we, in our minds, we think we know what they're thinking or what's happening in this conversation over here between these people or what's happening over there. We see it. We think we know what's happening. And in our minds, it's as though we were in the conversation and something was said to us. <laughs> and we go out from there. We begin to talk to other people as though we know what happened there, even though we really don't. We just need to be careful about how we handle ourselves in the world we live in. And it's tough speculating rumors, and a lot of times uh, with a negative bent. Again, that's not something that followers of Jesus are a part of. We eliminate that from our lives. The things we say build other people up. Things we say about other people builds up our churches and our communities, and that's how we need to live. How about harsh language? Cussing, foul language. Um, when I was first working with youth, I was in the little E-Free Church in Sargent, Nebraska, and we had a youth group. And, and I remember going through uh, with these kids talking about how you shouldn't be cussing. And I remember they said, they said, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about cussing. There's nothing in there about that. And I said, well, actually there is. Colossians 3.8 makes it pretty clear. Let no foul communication come out of your mouth. And so, yeah, it actually does. And then they tried the next one, which was, well, cussing is just a, a man-made construct, you know. It's just people made up these words. <clears throat> I, love, I love kids. Okay, I love kids. The problem is that I've heard adults say the same thing, right? Come on now. Uh, there might be things that as you think about it in your mind, sounds like a really good argument. When you say it out loud, you know, doesn't sound so smart anymore. I mean, I don't know what the point is. It, it's a man-made construct or the words are man-made. Yeah, so what? We still know what they are and we still know in certain situations we don't use them. I've known people that really struggle, man. The F word's like the every other word and it's just part of their language. But boy, when they get in a job interview, it doesn't come out. I don't know. Listen, I know that it's something we need to be moving in that direction. Some of us struggle more than others and none of us are perfect in it, but the Bible really does speak to it and God says, hey, foul language, not supposed to be part of of your communication style. How about how we treat others, that we treat others with respect? Follow the golden rule that Jesus taught. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How about have a positive mind and attitude as Philippians, the Apostle Paul again in Philippians points out that the way we think, we think about things that are true and noble and good, of a positive outlook on life and we're thinking about the things that God is doing more than sometimes the negativity we see in the world. How about not spreading dissension? Um, it's okay to have a dissenting viewpoint. And the Bible really instructs us within the church how to handle that, how to go to the leadership, how to follow a proper, a proper order and respect so that the church is protected and not tore down and broke apart. Dissension, when it's done the wrong way, um, it really can be destructive, and it, it does a lot of that. And so we're, as Christians, again, we handle ourselves differently than the rest of the world. We talk in a way that builds up the church and pulls people together. That's really what we're commanded to do. How about offense? Offense. The Bible teaches that as followers of Jesus, as we mature, we really become uh, 
Teflon, right? Hardened when it comes to offense. We don't allow it to stick to us. We don't allow it to exist in our lives. Now, I know this one is extremely difficult, extremely difficult, and I do not pretend to have it mastered, but I do know what the objective is, and that is that we become people who allow offenses to roll off us like water off a duck's back. They don't stick to us. We don't allow them to exist in our lives and in our hearts. We do the work that we need to do spiritually to forgive or to heal or to move on from those offenses, even to the point where we're able to overlook them almost as they happen. That's really kind of the picture we see in the New Testament. Of course, Jesus, as he hung on the cross, being killed by the people he came to save, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus saw in the people that he loved who were extremely offensive, he still saw past their behavior to see their hearts. Next comes instructions for how to lead the church. And Titus is being given instructions by Paul that are going to give us, uh, put some meat on the bones of what leadership looks like in the church among the people in the church. There really is a plan and a design that God intends for us to carry out and live out. And that is that in healthy churches, there is generational leadership. Generational leadership. Let's continue reading in Titus 2 and verse 2 through verse 6. Titus, uh, Paul says, Titus, teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. That means it doesn't come naturally all the time. Okay, Take some training. Take some work. Husbands and children can be difficult to love. All right, so older women are training the younger women in this. Uh, um, uh, Similar, the... Uh, they teach them, or the older women, uh, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. Um, oh, sorry, I, I got involved there and lost my spot. Let's see, older women. Okay, uh, verse five. Uh, I got stung up on loving children and husbands. Okay, to live wisely and be pure, um, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. There's an admonition instruction here, and this involves influence in the church. And literally, it's laid out here, the model that will work best in the church in terms of influence and leadership. There's leadership, obviously, um, that God puts overseeing the church. But there's leadership and influence that's supposed to happen inside the church, uh, between people that attend a church. And it has to do with generational, and it also has to do with gender-based uh, influence in ministry. Older men and older women are to be influencing younger men and younger women. Now, what's the definition of older men and older women? Uh, here's what is implied in the text. It, it, the implication is those who have, the older men and women are those who have raised their family and their children have moved on and started their own families or moved outside of their home. Uh, so I know we don't all like the term older, 
okay? But, but that's what's meant here. And so if you have raised your, uh, your family, your children are outside the home, then you fit in the category of older. Don't take offense. Remember, offense is supposed to roll off. But, but, that's, uh, but you know, that's what he's talking about here. And so, so older men and older women, this is the role. And they really are to be, first of all, living exemplary lives. Now, this church is probably about a year old, maybe two years old. Uh, These people haven't been Christians very long. They haven't been following Jesus very long. And yet Titus is being told, listen, here's what's supposed to happen. And so because of the behaviors that he confronts in the older men and older women, doesn't mean they were perfectly exemplifying it when Titus took over and was establishing leadership here. But he's supposed to lead them in this direction. That the older men are to live in a way that represents or reflects self-control. Self-control is something that we find in the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Self-control comes into our lives in greater amounts as the Spirit works in us. And so self-control is really something that is an admonishment to everyone listed in this, in this grouping. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Self-control needs to be showing up. But the older men and older women, those who have raised their families, this has got to be a character trait that they're living out. They show what it looks like to live an organized, emotionally stable life. They're living by faith, not easily ruffled by the ups and downs of life. They've had to deal with difficult times, which is one of the challenges of making it in life. And because the older men and older women have worked through this, they can exemplify and kind of exude this message in the church and in the community. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it, right? Even when it looks like the world's falling apart and everything's going uh, to hell in a handbasket. Listen, we trust God. We know God. He's been faithful. We're following him. We'll deal with the stuff. We'll make adjustments. We'll fix things. But, but it's going to be okay because we're following God. He's the one leading us. One of the things that can happen to the older men and older women, I'm not saying this is you, maybe the person next to you, But um, one of the problems that can occur is that as we live longer, we can notice that not everything that happens is good. The world doesn't always go in the right direction towards improvement. Sometimes people in charge do crazy things that don't make any sense, right? And, And if you're not careful, you can acquire kind of a critical spirit where you're kind of angry about everything. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the grumpy old man syndrome. And uh, listen, none of us want that really, but it can happen kind of without uh, us really noticing or, or, or uh, paying attention to it. And, and so sometimes the younger folks go, man, are you, are you okay? I mean, you seem kind of angry. And, and listen, we can be. But the truth is that a critical spirit doesn't come from the Holy Spirit, right? Critical spirit's not found in the fruit of the Spirit, so it isn't spiritually related when it comes to our walk with God. It is spiritually related, but it's not coming from God. And so we want to put aside and battle against, at times, a critical spirit. And instead, be faith-filled. Look to what God's doing, trusting in him. And that anger and frustration that can build up and well up in us, again, through maturity, through experience in life, through walking with God, that can fade away. We do need to battle it though, because it can take root in us. 
At least that's what I've been told. Um, <laughs> again, <clears throat> the younger or the older men, the older women are setting an example by the way we live. Older women, he says, don't slander. Don't slander others. What that seems to mean when you look at kind of the original language in the Greek is it has to do with talking a lot. Uh, so he says to the older women, don't talk a lot. And the tone of the talking a lot is talking about people in a negative way and tearing others down. Now, I know that's also something that can uh, kind of show up in our lives is, uh, and maybe, ladies, you can do this a little bit where you get kind of critical of each other. I know you probably don't, but I've heard that that can happen. And so again, he's saying, listen, you've matured past that. You're not living that way. When you speak about others, you're life-giving. You're affirming and you're building up and you're looking for the positive and the good in others, not just the negative. And the same is true of the older men. And then don't be slaves to wine. Don't be addicted to alcohol. Obviously, that was happening. And so that's why it's being addressed. And so we're working as the older generation to put these things aside, to exemplify a life that is wholesome, that reflects that we're learning and we're growing and we're moving towards God. We're not reverting back to old habits as we grow up and mature in life. These things, these ways of living will establish us as being very different than the world we live in. Paul says to Titus, inside the church, this kind of influence needs to be going on. The older women need to be training, investing in, helping the younger women learn how to live, how to raise their families. I remember uh, we just recently, within the last few years, our youngest child moved out of the house and we're in that uh, older category. And it's like, whew, I look back and kind of reflect on the previous decades and go, that was tough. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says, man. That was a battle. That was not easy. And it's not easy trying to make it financially in the world and, and provide as well as raise kids and train them right and deal with all the craziness that goes on. Man, it's not an easy task. But I do know now that I am past that pressure a little bit and I can look back. I do have some 2020 vision. Hindsight's always 2020. I can see things a little more clearly, see where I went wrong, where I made some mistakes. And I'm trying to speak that into some of the young men that I have an opportunity to work with. Say, listen, let me speak some of that wisdom into your life. Paul says to the, the younger women and younger men, they need to live lives that reflect wisdom. It's been said that all the knowledge is wasted on the young, right? Because <laughs> until you're about 25, you think you know everything. And you realize, I didn't know everything. And, and you start kind of digging in and going, wow, this is harder than I thought. And, and I mean, it's true. But, but here's the thing. Wisdom doesn't come naturally to the young. But Paul says the, the young can live with wisdom. Well, the way they acquire wisdom, which is really just the application of knowledge, it comes from an interaction with those who have lived it, who've already walked that road and can invest back and share that wisdom. And to the younger generation is, hey, be teachable and open, listen and ask questions, look for that input. There's a training that goes on here and training means again, like I said earlier, jokingly, it doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. It takes work to grow. It takes work to live for God. It takes work to become mature as followers of Jesus. And so if you're in the older generation category, there's a tendency to kind of go, hey, I've done my thing. I raised my kids. Church doesn't need me anymore. Right? I've done that. 
and to uh, drift off into the twilight years. Um, Paul tells Titus, that's not really an option. Uh, You have a purpose, and that is to share what you have learned with the next generation. Pass it off. And that's why we have women's ministry and men's ministry in our church. Yesterday, the women's ministry, um, which Mary uh, is, my wife's helping to lead and is really built on this Titus uh, 2 model. They had a brunch yesterday and and, uh, there was multi-generational ladies that that came. I think there was 80 some signed up. I think over 100 showed up. It was a great time. We had a friend from Denver come. She was the women's uh, coordinator in the church we worked at in Denver. And she came, and, and Friday night we were sharing with her what was going to happen. All these ladies were going to show up, and, and uh, Mary said, yeah, and the men in the church are going to fix the food, and they're going to serve it. And Lillian said, what, what, what did you say? Well, I thought you said the men in the church were going to cook and serve? <laughs> she said, I've heard of these things happening in churches. She's never seen it. <laughs> you know? Listen, um, uh, we have a, a phenomenal uh, church here with a great ministry with, with men who are serving and working and leading. And we have opportunities to invest. And it takes relationships to be able to hand off this knowledge generationally. It takes relationships. You can't just walk up as an older person to a younger person and say, here's what you should do. You know? <sighs> that doesn't go over very well usually. But what does work is a relationship where I'm sharing and imparting and bringing life and encouragement into the lives of others. It doesn't come naturally for younger women to love their husbands and children. It doesn't come naturally to submit to their husband's leadership, to live a pure life, to walk in a wholesome direction. And so it takes training and it takes encouragement. You know, we've had uh, some good movements in our country when it comes to men and women, and and especially to women and their empowerment and being seen as equals. And so the suffrage movement, which really, I think, started in church, um, really uh, worked in that direction. And and the feminist movement uh, maybe has a little bit, but I'll tell you honestly, when I think of feminism, what I think a lot of is is a movement that says what the Bible says is old-fashioned and it's really wrong and it's uh, it reflects a patriarchy and it's oppressive. And, and let me tell you something, that, that just isn't true. God set things up to work correctly for the life and benefit and health of everybody. And the structure that he put in place can be abused and it can go wrong, but that's because of sin. It's not because the structure's wrong. And so really what we need to do is a generation who discovers that by living and following some of those things that the culture teaches, we get off. Man, it's important to help pass that uh, affirmation of what God says as being correct and healthy and good, that's part of what gets passed on from the older generations to the younger generations. It's natural when you're younger to question this stuff. Does the Bible really work? Well, I've, I've heard this uh, in school and here's what I'm hearing in my culture and it doesn't match up with the Bible. No, does this, is the Bible really right? I mean, it's a natural part of growing up. But as you get older... <laughs> You go, oh man, that is where life is. That is absolutely where it's at. And so that's part of what we can hand off and pass off uh, generationally is that encouragement and that help not to question and doubt what God's word says, but really understand how living it out is how we succeed in this life. We're not perfect as followers of Jesus and the world really doesn't ask perfection from us. What they do want to see and need to see 
is a sincerity in our attempts and our pursuit of God. A sincerity. We need generational ministry. We need gender-specific ministry. Um, when I was married, as I said, I was pretty young and certainly had a lot to learn, didn't know much of anything. One of the things I figured out pretty quickly is that I could not provide or meet all the needs that my wife had. I needed some help. And fortunately, being a part of the church provided that. There was a study done in Harvard years ago, several hundred preschoolers. Research discovered an interesting phenomenon. They taped these children's playground conversations. They realized that the sounds coming from little girls' mouths were recognizable words. The, uh, the sounds coming from little boys' mouths, however, only about 60% were recognizable words. The other 40% were sounds like, vroom and you know, and all this stuff. Yeah, it doesn't really change. When you get older, you still do that. <laughs> hey, listen, um, uh, men make a lot of sounds, but listen, um, uh, but they discovered this and they, they found that uh, when it rolls out into life and in marriages, they asked uh, a wife, how much communication she'd like to have with her husband. She says, about 45 minutes a day would be great. And when her husband's asked, he says, 15 to 20 minutes a couple times a week is fine. Listen, uh, there's some differences in us. And it's okay, God made us that way. And we all need to grow and mature and figure those things out. Um, I talk a lot more uh, with Mary than I did when I was younger. But, but generational and gender-specific ministry helps so much in a church because it helps fill in some of those gaps. Titus is told to set an example as he continues this instruction from the Apostle Paul to first live out what he's trying to teach. See, healthy church leadership is demonstrated first. Let's continue reading Titus 2 and verse 7. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind, let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must also obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Paul says to Titus, you've got to live out and exemplify what you're trying to teach. And that gives us a principle in leadership that can be challenging to us when it comes to uh, how we operate in the church. Because honestly, in our culture, and it's not just in the church, but we really admire knowledge. If we have someone teaching the Bible and they just have a grasp and a knowledge of the scriptures, man, we admire that, we look up to it, we love listening to that. And sure, of course, it's good. We also admire and lift up and reward talent or giftedness. Those are two arenas that we notice the most. And Paul really says to Titus, what you do matters a lot more than what you say, Titus. They better line up. And so one of the things that is so important as we look at ourselves and as we consider the influence that needs to happen in the church is that hypocritical uh, uh, teaching, right? 
telling somebody what to do that isn't then lived out, that leads to rebellion, that pushes people away, that makes people in our community not want to be a part of the church. It makes our kids not want to be a part of the church. Uh, the new, younger generation says, this doesn't work, that's ridiculous. And they walk away from it because they don't see it being lived out. And Paul says to Titus, man, you got to live this out, buddy. It matters a lot more what your character is. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8, goes, knowledge has a tendency to puff us up while love builds up and strengthens the church. So it's important in leadership, but it also is important that what we're teaching is the truth. It's biblically based. It's sound. There's a lot of traps there that we can fall into and we can go off. One of the most important things as we look at the scripture and as we help others understand it is uh, there's a bunch of Bible study principles that I could go on uh, for a long time about. But one of them that's really important is that we're not imposing meaning on a scripture, on a verse, on a text. It's called eisegesis, all right? It's a fancy word for just imposing meaning because I, I don't like what it sounds like it's saying. I don't really like that. So I'm going to make it mean, based on my understanding of the Bible, my theological construct, I'm going to make it mean something or I'm going to try to impose meaning on it. This happens all the time by some well-meaning Bible teachers, right? Got to be careful of that. We're supposed to do what's called exegesis, which means the Bible is the word of God. What it says is the truth. And if I don't understand how it fits into the bigger context, if I don't have it all, all the questions answered, that's okay. I don't change or try to deny what it means. Let the Bible speak for itself. It is the word of God. The next admonition he has in here is to slaves. And I think the best equivalent for our time is employees. A lot of us are employees. In fact, most of us work for somebody, even if we work for ourselves. And so the truth is, he says, here's how you're supposed to handle yourself as an employee. Really helpful. Always be obedient. Always submit to the authority over you. Try to do your best to comply with what they're asking of you. Have that kind of attitude. Don't talk back to them. Be respectful. Have a respectful attitude. There isn't an employer boss who is perfect. We can always find fault, but we're called to live as people who are um, being obedient to God, right? We work for God, not just for the, the human beings that are in authority over us. So we're called to be honest. When I worked in retail, I found that the greatest theft in retail has, is, is done by employees. And so as an employee, again, how you live your life, it matters. Paul says to uh, Titus, teach those that work in that arena, that they're on their best behavior, the way they live at work needs to match the way they live or act when they're at church or when they're home. There's not this disparity where I can act a certain way when I'm at work or doing that. And then, oh, over here, I'm different. No, it's consistent. Following Jesus affects all of my life and it's going to permeate every part of my life. It's not going to be uh, held out in certain arenas. Our behavior at work is one of the Places in which your testimony really matters. Again, are you causing your coworkers, your boss, to think, wow, there's something to this, what the Bible says. There's something to Jesus. Or are they saying, I don't want anything to do with that. At the end of the day, leadership in the church is going to be primarily about one thing. Healthy church leadership is always leading to transformation. Transformation. Changed lives. That's the clearly the tone of this, uh, this chapter. It's that all of us, influencers, those who are being influenced, we're all moving towards following Jesus in a sincere, 
serious manner. We're moving forward. Titus 2, let's finish up the last few verses here, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed when he returns. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Life change, transformation, that's what's supposed to be happening in the church it is demonstrated, it's modeled from the, from the bottom up, from the leaders of the church, throughout the church, generationally. And every person is seriously moving in the direction of following Jesus, growing to be more like him, putting aside sinful pleasures and godless living and becoming more like Christ. This is the call of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to trust in Jesus Paul says in this passage, listen, yes, Jesus came to save you and provide eternal life for you. He also came to set you free from sin. And so your life needs to reflect that. You're moving towards greater and greater obedience to God in every area of your life. Are you taking this call seriously? It can be easy to fall into a rut, into a pattern, again, where not much is happening, but we're comfortable and we're called not to stay in those places, not to live in a place where we've accepted a sin pattern. I know that, that we all can say things like this. Well, it was my upbringing that made me this way. That's why I struggle with this area. You know, it's, it's the world around me. It's, it's just my personality. That's why I struggle. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's the devil. He keeps getting in my head and making me do it. All those things are things we like to call, if we're honest, excuses, right? We don't like excuses when they're used on us by people who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And God certainly isn't going to accept excuses from us. Excuses are like noses, it's been said. Everyone has one. They all smell. Let's don't make excuses. <laughs> I had to give you one good one today. Listen, don't make, let's don't make excuses. Let's don't be those kind of people. Let's press in and pursue what God's called us to. There's a story told of a young woman who trusted Christ, and she went to church to join the church, see if she could become a member. And one of the older elders was interviewing her, and he said, were you a sinner before you trusted Jesus as Savior? She said, she said yes, I was a sinner. He said, well, have you continued to sin since you trusted Jesus as Savior? She said, well, you know, honestly, yeah. In fact, in some ways, I feel like I sin more than ever. He said, well, what kind of real transformation have you experienced then after having trusted Christ? She said, well, I don't know how to explain it really other than to say this. I used to be a sinner running after sin, and now I'm a sinner running from it. We're called to be people that reflect God. We are not perfect people, but we've been bought with a price. God has done everything for us. And he calls us to live for him. I know it's hard. We battle against it in the world we live in. And this message isn't about beating us up. It's about calling us to a higher place. To continue to pursue. To help each other. 
to help each other so that we can become the people God wants us to be. We can become the church that's healthy and unified and firing on all cylinders. God, we thank you for the way you call us uh, to something more, the way you paid such a great price for us so that we could be set free from the things that erode and destroy and tear us apart. You really want to give us life and you want to call us to live for you so that we can set an example in this world. We can help each other. We can help the people around us. Draw them closer to you because of the way we live. We live as people are experiencing the transformational power of the gospel in our lives. Would you help us as we try to help each other grow closer to you? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.